A highly transmissible variant of the coronavirus is spreading through the country right now, driving another wave of infections, even those among those who've already recently recovered from COVID-19. The Omicron subvariant BA5 is largely behind it, as well as BA4. The good news is that waves in other countries seem to peak quickly. The issue, again, both subvariants have shown an ability to evade the protection offered by previous infection. It comes as a new report estimates that the first wave of Omicron in Canada was like a COVID tsunami, infecting an average of 100,000 people a day. Well, joining me now with more on this is Dr. Isaac Bogosh. He's an infectious disease specialist out of Toronto's General Hospital. Thank you for your time tonight. Oh, my pleasure. So to start at the the beginning, just the impact of Omicron, the first wave, there was uh, some data out this week that showed that uh, an enormous number of Canadians uh, contracted COVID over the first part of 2022. It seemed like pretty astounding statistics. Yeah, I mean, when the Omicron wave emerged globally, we just saw that far more people had been infected with this than with any other uh, variant uh, that preceded it. And, uh, you know, Canada was no different. This this uh, variant just swept over the world. Uh, of course, Canada was included. So, you know, while we had lots of people infected during waves one, two, three, you know, when, when Omicron hit, in December of 2021, it just swept through most of Canada uh, throughout December and uh, and January. So, you know, it, different people will discuss this wave in different manners, but I think it's important to look at this from a holistic standpoint. From an individual basis, we know that this variant was milder, not mild, milder, meaning it packed a bit less of a punch compared to the Delta variant that preceded it. Doesn't mean it couldn't pack a punch. It just wasn't causing as significant illness at an individual level. But of course, it can still cause significant illness. And when you have so many people infected at the same time, even if a small percentage of those people will end up in hospital, a small percentage of a massive number of people infected simultaneously ends up being a lot of people in hospital. And that's exactly what we saw. And now we're contending. I mean, one of the things that was interesting was that um, a combination of sort of having had it and vaccination would seem to increase one's resistance to it. But we're seeing these new variants now that suggest that isn't true or isn't true for the new variants, at least. No, I mean, based on everything we know to date, these vaccines still hold up in terms of protecting individuals against more significant illness like hospitalization and death. And that's just what they do. Now, it's clear that the vaccines have lost a lot of their protective benefit in terms of, you know, shielding us from getting the infection in the first place. It doesn't mean that they don't do that. They just do it to a much, much, much lesser extent compared to earlier on in the pandemic when we were dealing with the original virus or the alpha variant. Now, in the Omicron era, sure, the vaccines provide a little bit of protection against getting the infection, but they really do stand up in terms of protecting us against more severe illness like hospitalization and death. And in fact, there's wonderful data from uh, Israel, from Qatar and other parts of the world. Actually, most places that are now reporting their Omicron data, you still see the incredible protective benefit of vaccination that really holds against more severe infection. So yes, by and large, it's, you know, people are getting infected and obviously we don't want anyone to get infected, 
but the vaccination, especially ensuring people are up to date on their vaccines, which means a third dose and sometimes even a fourth for most, it really does provide very meaningful protection against significant illness like hospitalization and death. Tell me a bit about BA4 and BA5, the new variants that we're seeing, because we're reading a lot now about how how they're really becoming or have become already the dominant variant in most parts of uh, of the Western world, at least. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is really fueling a summer wave here in Canada, of course, elsewhere in the world. This one emerged and was initially described by some uh, scientists in South Africa and just kudos to them. I mean, South African scientists have been leading the way in terms of identifying and sharing data in real time. And they've done such a tremendous service for the world. They had a they had a wave several months ago, and then after them, uh, Portugal was the country that followed next. Now their BA five wave is is receding, but we now see many other parts of, for example, Europe and, and North America, Australia, some Asian countries as well contending with the BA five wave. I think Canada's still early on in this wave, and it'll likely peak sometime in uh, the latter part of of July. Um, you know, things that are working in our favor is that it's summer. We don't have millions and millions of kids indoors in the same uh, classroom, for example, five days a week for eight hours a day. I mean, and, and people are generally not working indoors as much as they were during, you know, the pre-summer time. So that that's clearly working in our favor. Things that aren't working in our favor uh, are that this is a pretty transmissible variant and it does chip away at some of the protective immunity that we've had. So we're seeing all the metrics rise, Right. The wastewater signals in most of the country are are up. Even though we're doing a limited number of testing, it's still consistently done. And the percentage of tests that are positive are up. And in fact, we're seeing a small but real bump in hospitalizations in many parts of the country as well. And again, this is driven by the BA5. And if you take a step back and say, okay, you know, is this just more of the same, you know, the answer is no. I mean, like this, we don't need to take a fatalistic approach to this and say, oh, there's nothing we can do. Of course there is. I mean, there's many people that aren't up to date on their vaccinations, and it's a great idea to to do so, especially for people who are at greatest risk of severe infection. Um, you know, we know that this virus is primarily transmitted in indoor settings. So you can put a mask on, especially a high quality mask in indoor settings. And then lastly, you know, it's summer in Canada. We're blessed with just the best summers. And, you know, if you have an option, for example, you're having family over, instead of having people indoors, you can have a backyard barbecue and and just choose to do things outside as much as possible, where we know the risk of transmission is much lower. Tell me a bit about BA4 and BA5. How is this virus mutating and what is it doing when it does? I I gather this one, uh, the the body doesn't recognize some of this virus, even if it has had, had, even if you've had COVID in the past, specifically even Omicron in the past, that somehow BA5, BA4 and BA5 uh, seem to be able to walk around that a little bit. Right. So there's a part of the virus that's called the spike protein. And that's really important for the virus to really latch onto human cells and then enter our bodies. And a lot of the mutations are in and around that spike protein area. And what they do is they can basically weave and bob around some of the protective immunity that we've that we've generated such that it's more readily able to infect human cells that's basically what happens and and quite frankly that's that's a pretty generic answer that's true for just about every time (laughs) this virus has mutated and caused either more transmissible infections or sometimes even more virulent infections but that that's essentially what's happening and a lot of the focus is on the spike protein and rightfully so but again i 
you know, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's important that people hear this. The vaccines are phenomenal. They truly are. And while they don't protect us as well as they once did in terms of getting this infection, they really stand the test of time to protect us from more severe illness. So we know who's disproportionately impacted by this, right? Those who are on the older end of the spectrum, those who have underlying medical conditions that put them at greater risk. And yeah, while everyone should be going and, and be, and, and people should be up to date on their vaccines, it's especially important for those who are at greatest risk for severe illness. I'm speaking with Dr. Isaac Bogosh. He's an infectious disease specialist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. We're talking about a new wave, a summer wave, depending where you are, a seventh wave in some areas, uh, a lesser one in others, of uh, BA4 and BA5 new variants of Omicron, uh, and, and how best to protect ourselves, what the impact might be. When we come back, again, we'll go back to perhaps what public health officials should be doing about this. Uh, and the public is, is still receiving these messages properly. That's next. My guest this half hour is Dr. Isaac Bogosh. He's an infectious disease specialist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. We're talking about uh, a new wave of Omicron, BA4 and BA5, has taken over uh, much of the Western world. We're reading about it, uh, about spikes in the US and Europe, uh, Canada as well. We're expecting a so-called summer wave. Uh, You've talked about this. You've talked about this already, the importance of vaccination. Uh, Canadians seem to have... uh, tuned out a little bit when it comes to the messaging about getting getting their shots. Is this now time to think of definitely about a third dose and certainly perhaps about a fourth? I'm, I'm not surprised many people have tuned out, right? It's been two very long and challenging years. Well, really two and a half really long and challenging years. There's been so many ups and downs, but lots of downs. And uh, I appreciate that everyone wants to live their life. And, and so they should. I just think there's just simple things that we can do to create a safer environment for individuals and, and for communities. And, you know, one of the issues too is building back some trust in, in public health and in, in healthcare. And that's, that's obviously an uphill battle. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a, a significant component and a, a big piece of a much larger puzzle, but still a big piece of this is vaccination. And we know that vaccination does provide very meaningful protection against severe illness with, with uh, COVID-19, including with the BA5 sublineage of Omicron that's circulating now and causing our summer wave. And, and certainly it would be very important for people to you know, really have a peek at what their provincial guidelines uh, are suggesting and, and, and really be up to date on their vaccination. What is, you know, uh, this drives me nuts, but it's, it's a sad reality. We've seen time and time again, you know, different provinces are doing different things. And even within the province at a sub-provincial level, there might be different uh, public health measures, and and I, I, you know, I think that's obviously confusing, and uh, and and can really, unfortunately, breed more mistrust, and 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 more and more people tune out. So that's that's unfortunate. I think from a lessons learned standpoint, at a federal and a provincial and a municipal public health standpoint, I think there could be much better coordination across the country. It's certainly when it comes to protecting those most vulnerable, because the other story we've been talking about a lot these days is just how overtaxed and how swamped emergency rooms are across the country due to uh, lack of staff, COVID as well. Um, if anything, getting vaccinated, protecting oneself is, is protecting a very fragile healthcare system right now. Oh, home run. And I would expand that well beyond the emergency departments. I mean, if you really look at any aspect of the healthcare sector, you'll see that it is completely stretched from outpatient clinics to other non-emergency department aspects of hospitalized uh, of the hospital system, I mean, it is uh, it is it is significantly stretched, and 
you know, there's lots of factors that are driving this. One of, one of several is that, you know, many people have left healthcare. Uh, it's been a very challenging place to work over the last two and a half years. And a lot of people just said, thank you, but no, thank you. This isn't for me. And I, I would wager that if you walked into any hospital in the country and went on to any ward in any hospital in the country and said, hey, do you have enough? Uh, are you having staffing issues? I think the answer in any single ward would be a resounding yes. And that certainly has an impact on public health. I mean, if, if, if you're not worried about getting Omicron because it's not as severe, the implication, though, is if the healthcare system you're relying on, if it is, isn't quite up to snuff right now, uh, you're best to protect yourself, one would think. A hundred percent. I mean, so certainly I would never underplay the significance of Omicron. And while it might not cause the same punch as, you know, prior variants on a case by case basis, it's so transmissible. And of course, some people are going to get sick and some people are going to land in hospital. And because it's so transmissible and so many more people get sick from this, it ends up being a lot of people in hospital. And that's why we had, uh, you know, a rather deadly wave in the winter. We, we did. We did it by, by any metric. So, you know, as you point out, you can take a step to protect yourself at an individual level and protect your family, but it also has a tremendous positive ripple effect uh, on a healthcare system when everyone goes out and says, you know what, I'm going to take steps to ensure that I don't have uh, a severe illness with COVID-19, be it being up to date on vaccination, doing, uh, you know, and still enjoying your summer, but really taking things outdoors or putting on a mask in an indoor setting. I get it. I fully get it, as hopefully 38 million Canadians do as well. There's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that's going to stop this. You know, enough with the simple solutions, uh, because there aren't any. This is, you know, we take a multitude of approaches to create a safer environment to protect ourselves and to protect Canadians. And I think if we sort of follow suit with that, we'll, we'll be in a much better place. The other thing to remember, too, is you know, we're in a summer wave now, and, and no one wants to talk about it, but it's important, is that we're going to have a rise in cases probably sometime in the late fall and for sure throughout the winter like that, that's going to happen. And that's going to correspond with an influenza season. That's very likely to happen as well. We're seeing the Southern hemisphere uh, in a, in a bit of a challenging flu season as well. Like there's more on the horizon. And I certainly think we can prepare ourselves to create safer indoor environments, build back trust in public health, get people up to date on vaccines, prepare for vaccine rollout in, in the fall and, uh, you know, we'll be okay. We absolutely will. But of course, it takes planning and, and sound communication to get buy-in from, from the general population. Isaac Bogosh, thanks so much for your time tonight. My pleasure. Have a good one.